Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are resuming our discussion of Genesis 19. We made it through the first 14 verses in our previous podcast. And now we pick it up in verse 15. And in the first 14 verses, we learn that God warns his people that he will destroy their world because of its grievous sin. And uh, obviously seen here as God is warning Abraham. But I think the obvious application is that God has warned his people, Christians, and, and through them, he's warning the rest of the world that he is going to come back and judge the world for its grievous sin as well uh, in the future and not just just with the great white throne judgment and the lake of fire, but he is going to bring his wrath uh, upon the earth once again. He's already done it once globally. And then we have the instance here where it's locally with a city and that's used uh, to be illustrative or illustrative, however you wanna put the emphasis on that, as Jesus uses that uh, for illustration later on in the New Testament. So God warns his people that he will destroy their world because of its grievous sin. Uh, Now, as we begin verses 15 to 22, we learn the influence of the world can be alluring to a believer, but it is contemptible to God. So picking it up in verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved." He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. So we learn here from this that the influence of the world can be very powerfully alluring to a believer, but it is nonetheless contemptible to God. And I think that as we kind of dive into this a little bit in Lot's instance, we can see some obvious parallels within the broad evangelical church as a whole, and and maybe there's some even personal application. I think sometimes the allure, the draw, the power of the world around us it can be imperceptible to us because we live in it so often. And really, the only cure for that is to be more saturated in the Word of God, honestly, the only only way to counter that. So we see that God's messengers had to drag a worldly believer from the evil city. Now, we are told, I've, I've said this before, that, you know, Lot's righteous soul was vexed. 
But we see within this that he has allowed himself some level of conformity, maybe not participation in, but some level of acceptance and and conformity to this society, so much so that he refuses to leave. And keep in mind the preceding verses. You know, we have the, the angels reaching out their hand and protecting him physically by bringing him inside and striking the men with blindness who are at the entrance of the house. But then they say in verse 13, we are about to destroy this place because the outcry of its people has come become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So he goes to his sons-in-law, their betrothed, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city, but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. So he warns them, but it's very interesting that he warns them in verse 14, but by the time we get to verse 16, he himself is not even willing to uh, heed his own warning that he issued to his sons-in-law. So we, we see then that God's messengers had to drag a worldly believer from the evil city. They seized him and his wife and his two daughters. Note, by the way, when they asked the question earlier, back in verse 12, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone in the city? In, in other words, this is your night. You have one last night. We came here in the evening, and we already read about the events that happened before, and so we get all of that, but... You have one night, basically, you go on an evangelistic crusade, right? Go out in the highways and byways, go to the main street of the town, tell anybody that wants to, to come to your house, and then we'll leave, right? That's what they say. Bring them out of the place. We are about to destroy this place. Warn people to leave. When we get to the morning, you know, like I said, we don't know if there are other daughters. This is probably just the, well, at least these are the only daughters that survive, even if he did have others. His sons-in-law don't go with him. The only people that are taken out of the city are these four. So the men seized him and his wife, there's two, and his two daughters by the hand. Literally have to be dragged uh, out of their house and out of the city by the hand. And, you know, woe to us, just thinking practically, if we are so bent on hanging on to our sin that we are unwilling to let it go, even in the face of destruction. And, uh, you know, would that God grant us some humility and repentance. This is why we need to keep a short account with God. We need to be in the word of God daily, and we need to be keeping a short account with God on a daily basis. You know, I have said this often, maybe not in this podcast, but throughout the course of, you know, ministry when it comes up, as it often does in a Sunday school setting or a small group or whatever, that, you know, we will end up talking about sin and, you know, we'll inevitably go to First John often that is used uh, as we prepare for the Lord's table. And, you know, John says under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Plus, we make Jesus a liar. He does go on to say that. So there's that problem. But keep in mind that he's writing to believers. And then he says in 1 John chapter 1, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he's again, he's talking to believers. So this cannot be 
confession of sin for salvation. This is that daily accounting. And then you go back to the foot washing, uh, you know, record that we have where Jesus began to wash the feet of his disciples. And of course you have Peter who's just so brash and, you know, in all that he does. And he's like, Oh Lord, not my feet only wash every part of me. At first he says, don't touch my feet. And then Jesus says, if you don't let me do this, then you have no part of me. And he's like, okay, not my feet only. Give me a bath, you know, give me a sponge bath right now. And, and Jesus says, no, that's not the point. You don't need that, but you do need to have your feet washed on a regular basis. And I do really truly believe that that is picturing our daily walk with the Lord. And so, you know, if you want to avoid this type of scenario, I'm not saying that it is looming upon you. But you don't want to be so hardened and calloused in your heart to sin that you are unwilling to let go of it, even in the face of the judgment of God. Uh, and w- there's a couple remedies. You know, I, they're, they're part of the one remedy. Spend time in the Word of God so that you can read God's standard. Don't, you know, try and manipulate it and adjust it to your own liking and your own desire and after your own image right? Don't do that. That's idolatry. That's, there's all kinds of issues with that. And secondly, keep a short sin account with God. Confess your sin often. Keeps you humble, keeps you uh, introspective, and you know, be truthful about it as well. Don't sugarcoat it because you know you can't hide anything from God. So we definitely want to avoid that. They have to drag him and his wife and his two daughters out of this evil city, and then we see, secondly, under this, that, that this worldly believer is going to force a concession from those that God sent. Now, obviously, they have permission from God. They, angels don't disobey, you know, not after the fall, that everything's solidified. So angels do exactly what they are supposed to be doing. And so they obviously had been given some permission because God is sovereign and knows the beginning from the end. So they were allowed to make this concession. And I think it's more of a teaching tool than it is for anything, not necessarily for Lot, but for others who read. I mean, look at how much he is just absolutely consumed by the sin and his love for this and attachment to this depraved society. There is a unanimous agreement on this that when he is having this discussion that ensues where he's kind of bargaining right here at the last second, he says, you know, they tell him where he's supposed to go. Don't, don't look back. Number one, there's a couple parts to this. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the Valley. Escape to the Hills, lest you be swept away. Now it's that don't stop anywhere in the Valley part that gets us because Lot says in verse 18, Oh no, my Lord's. You've shown me kindness. You know, he's trying to appeal to this, but really what he's doing is hanging on to his sinful depravity. I cannot escape to the hills. Okay, we have to understand what that means. He wants to stop somewhere in the valley. In other words, the intended destruction of this fire and brimstone wasn't just Sodom. It's also Gomorrah and was going to be surrounding areas, probably including this little town of Zoar where he ends up. But he says, I can't escape out of the valley. Uh, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. And then he tries to argue, is it not a little one? You know, so he starts off, you've shown me great favor implication. Why don't you just keep showing me more? This is a little city. That's not such a big deal to you. Is it? No, no, it's really small. Uh, just allow me to go here. So he kind of forces this concession 
And again, we have to look at this biblically from a grand theological perspective. This isn't changing the mind of God. It's not like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Well, I guess I can change. No, the Lord's not doing that. He had already seen the beginning from the end. But he cannot see or comprehend or even accept what God is doing and is going to do whatever he can to hang on to any shred of his former life. Listen, you know, again, just by way of application, you cannot become so attached to this world that that it consumes you in this manner. You've got to be ready to go. And again, the the cure for that is to spend more time in the scriptures. Don't fall in love with this world. Always view yourself as a pilgrim, as a vagabond, as somebody who's just passing through. And you don't want to get too attached to it. Uh, and it's hard to say this strongly enough. I've met some Christians and, uh, you know, people in over the course of my life, of course, my entire life, which is nothing but a mist <laughs> that's here for a little bit and vanishes away. I get that has all been in the church age. None of us has, have lived outside of the church age, but I've met a lot of Christians who are very attached to this world, love their life here. And, you know, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy life. I mean, the chief end of man, glorify God and enjoy him forever. But part of enjoying God and part of glorifying him is to find beauty in his creation and to, uh, you know, and to see God in everything. That's, that's part of cultivating a Christian and a biblical worldview. But it doesn't mean that we're so consumed with this earth that we're not willing to let it go. I'm, I'm willing to let the entire earth go. Just, just let it go. You know, uh, I've gotten to travel by God's grace and because of some of my jobs outside of the ministry, uh, I, I've been able to travel all over the world and I've seen some spectacular things. I, you know, and I, I haven't even seen the half of it, you know, that some people have people who travel a lot more than I do and have seen some just incredible things, but I've seen incredible things. But not one of them is something that I was like, well, I can't, you know, we got to keep the earth around. Well, you know, I read the word of God and I see what God has to say about this world. And this world is temporary. All, all of the earth is temporary and nothing's going to remain. Nothing that you and I see right now is going to remain. God is going to refashion the earth and God is going to do incredible things, but there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And, you know, none of this is brought, brought into that. So it's really important for us, I think, just to meditate on this idea that we really shouldn't become so world, so attached to worldly things. We see it very evident in Lot uh, and his and his family. You know, the fact that you know he didn't have a strong influence on the people that were going to be entering into his family, his sons-in-law. He doesn't have influence on anybody else in the city. I mean, there's a great wickedness there. We can't lay all of that at the feet of Lot, but he obviously didn't have a whole lot of influence. And, you know, as we'll find out later, I mean, he even loses his wife in the process. That's just tragic. It really is. But so much of this is because of his attachment to the world. And again, I just want to emphasize that we as believers should not have that said about us. When somebody looks at you, either from the church, and you know that's our first and primary community, or in in uh, you know outside of the church, the community in which you live, your neighborhood, your neighbors, you know they look at your life. Do they say there is a person who is, you know, keeping up with the Joneses or whatever you know that is, and always has to have the biggest and the best and the next toys and all these other things, or do they know that you are a stranger? 
You know, you are passing through. This world is not your home. You're looking for the city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So, you know, today I think the purpose of this podcast and and looking at this particular episode at these verses here from verses 15 to 22 is to just do a heart check and allow this to happen through the illustration of Lot and what's going on here. Uh, How attached are we? How, you know, have we allowed ourselves, not just to the world, but to the world's practices and biblical worldview, have we allowed our, our view of sin to become tainted? Uh, do, do we need a realignment? And if so, you know where to get that realignment, back into the Word of God, back into prayer. And that's my encouragement for you today. I think we'll end this episode there and we'll pick it up starting in verse 23 next time. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.